You're listening to the CFP Podcast with your host, Sheffy, the college football writer, the source for your college football fix with picks, clicks, and conversions over kicks. Now, here's your host, Sheffy. It's a wonderful Wednesday here in the college football offseason. And you know what I think of when I think of Wednesdays during the fall, which, by the way, is hands down the best time of the year? Well, first, I think that the week is already 50% done, and we're halfway to Saturday. But I also think of what my guy Matt Barry at ESPN likes to call Sunbelt Funbelt football, baby. We continue with our look at CFP's great 28 teams of the spring, marching on to the 2021 football season. And today we feature not one, but two teams from the Sunbelt Conference as we look at numbers 24 through 21 in our spring rankings. Again, we want to remind you that these projections are an analytical ranking that encompasses a team's returning production from last year, the cumulative talent and depth on their rosters entering the spring, and their statistical efficiencies from last season. So basically, the cumulative ranking of what they did offensively, defensively, special teams, mashing it all together, multiplying that with the amount of returning production that they bring back and see if we can crystal ball it into how we think these teams rank at least starting at the end of spring going into the early parts of summer. Now these are not yet a prediction of how teams will necessarily finish by the end of the season. We will get into that as we reach the summer but for now let us tease you with a taste of what we have to look for in 2021. So here we go. Our great 28 giving you more, starting this time with number 24. Okay, we are going to begin with the Teal Nation out in Conway, South Carolina. Brooks Stadium, the Teal Turf, brings us to the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Not the Chanticleers, the Chanticleers, with their famous literary reference. You can look it up. But this was the darling team of college football in 2020 and there was a lot to like about them and this is a team that when you first started watching them you thought they're cute it's a sweet look but cinderella's magic has got to run out and it didn't they went all the way through and unfortunately could not cap it off at the end against liberty and what a great bowl game that was it went to overtime it really shouldn't have gone there but it starts with their red-hot, red-shirt freshman quarterback from last season, Grayson McCall. Now, McCall is a guy who I think if he was a year older and if he played in a Power 5 conference, he would have been a Heisman finalist. He was that impressive. He completed 69% of his passes, 226 yards per game, a 26-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, again, as a red-shirt freshman last year. He also averaged 5.1 yards per carry running the ball, 51 yards a game, and seven touchdowns on the ground. So very good dual-threat quarterback running that Jamie Chadwell offense. And even though they lose C.J. Marable, who was their top back from last year, they bring back Reese White and Shamari Jones, who each averaged 5.4 and 4.7 yards per carry, respectively, nine collective touchdowns rushing. They also bring back a lot of good receiving talent. Javon Hiley and Cameron Brown, but then also Isaiah Likely, who is going to be a Mackey Award nominee at tight end for the nation's top player at that position. He had 30 catches for 20 yards per reception last year, 54 yards per game. Hiley had 65 catches overall with 15 yards per haul, 83 yards per game, and 10 touchdowns. So between the two of them, 
they average about 17 yards per strike and a total of 15 touchdowns through the air. The other thing that looks good for this offense, all five offensive linemen coming back, led by Trey Carter, their all-Sunbelt Conference right guard, and Willie Lampkin at the left guard spot, who had a pretty good freshman season. He also made all-Sunbelt, so uh, putting together two solid guards surrounding the super senior Sam Thompson, who some people say is undersized, but you can't measure the, the size of the guy's heart. And I think that this is going to be another pretty potent offense for Willie Korn and Newland Isaac, the co-offensive coordinators, who also work in tandem with Jamie Chadwell calling that offense. Offensively last year, they were a top 10, 15 squad in most statistical categories. Defensively, they were also very good. And their defense is run by Chad Staggs, who's now in his third year calling the defense for what was known as the Black Swarm defense a year ago. They lose Turin Jackson at defensive end going to the NFL, and I think that he could be somebody who might be a, a steal in the mid-round to late-round pick for some NFL team. But good news is they get back C.J. Brewer. They also get back Jeffrey Gunter at the outside linebacker position, Teddy Gallagher and Silas Kelly, the Mullet brothers at linebacker, Enoch McConzo playing in the middle, and then in the secondary, the Jordan Strong and Derek Bush at the corners, Alex Spillum, Braden Matz, uh, Mateo Sadipo, three pretty good safeties manning the middle of the field. They were a, a solid secondary a year ago, and this was a team that took advantage of opportunities. They were a very opportunistic group on defense, and they protected the ball on offense. So what this translates to is Coastal Carolina was a team that got a lot of breaks last year, and rightfully so. They made a lot of their own breaks. They finished 11-1, perfect 8-0 in the Sun Belt Conference. The SBC championship game against Louisiana was canceled. That would have been a great rematch, but they decided to, to cancel it, uh, much to the dismay of many college football fans, especially Sunbelt fans. But in close games, seven points or less last year, Coastal Carolina was 3-1. and one. And They had to come back in a few of them. They were 7-1 and one as a ranked team, and they went 2-0 and oh against top 25 opposition. So they knocked off number 21 Louisiana in the fourth game of the year. And then, of course, that classic game hosting BYU on a short week. College game day was there. It came down to the wire, and literally BYU was stopped a half a yard away from doing something at the end there. So it showed the character and the grit of the Chanticleers. And what history has told us in college football is that when you play close one year, sometimes that wears you thin, and the next year people either overvalue you or teams are a little bit more prepared or that magic might run out a little bit. So that's something to guard against. Again, going into the spring, this is a very stocked, loaded Coastal Carolina team. I think that they have every right to be ranked within the top 25 of every poll starting next season. Will they last there? That's something that we'll take a look at and release in our college football preview as we get to the closer part of the summer. But Coastal Carolina, they're looking good, offense, defense, and even on special teams, Massimo Viscardi, an all-sun belt place kicker, is back. He was 11 of 13 with a long of 51, was 4 of 6 from 40 yards or more. They also bring back their punter, Charles Overson, who's coming back for his super senior season, averaged 40 yards per punt, put 5 over 50 yards. And Javon Hiley, Reese White, two pretty good kick returners, and Hiley also averaged 8 yards returning punts. So the talent is there. It's yet to be seen how Coastal Carolina will play out in year two now that the target is huge on their backs. And also they have to kind of guard against 
people trying to poach Jamie Chadwell. He re-inked a new contract last year, but we all know in the college football landscape, contracts are, are made to be bought out. And so where will Chadwell's allegiances lie? I was kind of surprised that he didn't go to his dream landscape of Knoxville, Tennessee, to the Volunteers, but he stayed at Coastal Carolina. And I'm happy for the shots, and I really hope that he's somebody who roots himself in Conway and turns Coastal Carolina into maybe like a Boise State who in five, 10 years could be flirting with joining a Power Five conference. So again, that's number 24, Coastal Carolina. For number 23, we are going out to Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, where they like to remind you that we are Penn State. That's right, the Nittany Lions from the Big Ten. They're our number 23 team going into the spring of 2021. And as we look at this team last year, a lot was expected of them, and they started off probably as rough as, as people could have expected. A close, very controversial one-point loss on a called touchdown at Indiana with Michael Penix. So they dropped that game, and then the following weekend on Halloween night, they get to host Ohio State, but without the whiteout, without the crowd behind them. And we all saw what kind of a juggernaut Ohio State was last year. So right off the bat, two close losses in conference by a total of four points. Two weeks later, they would lose to Nebraska by seven points. So within their first four games, three of them were close game losses, and the Lions were 0-3 overall in seven points or less contests. So that kind of showed the, the tough breaks that they experienced last year. And a lot of people pointed to the poor play of Sean Clifford at quarterback. And I'm going to come right out right now and defend Mr. Clifford because we saw in 2019 he was a pretty good quarterback. I think he had a 23-7 to touchdown to interception ratio. That dropped a little bit last year. He was 16-9. to I mean, the touchdown passes were still respectable, but nine interceptions. He also fumbled the ball occasionally. But I think that we can relate that to a couple factors. One, they lost Journey Brown. They lost Noah Kane on the, I think, the first series of the year last season. And they were down to freshman Kevon Lee, who ended up being their leading rusher. Devin Ford was riddled with some injuries last year. Keziah Holmes was another freshman. So they were playing with a lot of youth in that backfield. Talented youth, but youth nonetheless. But more importantly, and the biggest contrast was the offensive line. Their offensive line was, was not good last year. Running the ball, they got better as the year went on, but they were, I think, 109th in sacks allowed. And they lose two, two and a half of those offensive linemen. They do bring back Rasheed Walker at left tackle. Mike Miranda at left guard. So the left side is going to be pretty good to protect Clifford. They do get Juice Scruggs stepping in at center. And you got to respect a guy whose name is Juice playing football. If you're going to go by that name, you, you've got to have some talent to back it up. And he was a top 20 recruit coming out of high school at his position. They also get a junior college transfer from a couple of years ago, Anthony Wigan, who will step in at that right guard position left by will freeze. So one would hope and would expect that that's going to be an area of emphasis for that Penn State offense this year. And they do get Mike Yersich, who I think is going to be a big X factor. So when you look at Sean Clifford under former offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie, who is now the head coach at Old Dominion under Ronnie Clifford was a lot more productive in 2019. Like I said, 23 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. He also averaged over three yards per carry on the ground and that's factoring in sacks. So He's a much better athlete than his rush numbers might suggest. 
Last year, they got Kirk Shiraka, and Shiraka, I respect as an offensive mind, but he didn't really have much of any time to install his offense, to work with his guys, and they went right off the bat against a tough Indiana team who ended up being one of the more surprising, pleasant stories in college football last season. And then, of course, the national championship runner-up Ohio State Buckeyes in week one and week two. So you got to give them a little bit of a break there. They, in addition to getting back Noah Kane and Devin Ford, Kevon Lee from last year from injury and from their performances, they also get a pretty good transfer in John Lovett from Baylor. Now, Lovett was the one of the top rushers for the Bears the last couple seasons, which included their Big 12 championship appearance in 2019. They also get transfer portal edition Eric Wilson, a graduate from Harvard. So they've got a, a smart dude coming in who can play an offensive guard position. He might even compete with Wigan for that offensive right guard position. So offensively, I'm expecting a rebound and, and things to get better, not only under James Franklin's guidance, but like we said, Yursich coming in. Uh, he's known for being an offensive mind. He spent some time at Oklahoma State. He most recently was at the University of Texas, where they could put up some points and they could spread the ball around pretty effectively out there in Austin last season. Defensively, this is where Penn State is typically known for having some prowess. And so they were a top 30 defense last season, but they lose two key defensive ends, Shaka Tony, Jason Owe. Tony expired his eligibility, decided not to come back. Jason Owe declared early for the draft. They also lost Shane Simmons. So three of their top four defensive ends are gone. They also lose Antonio Shelton, who ended up taking a grad transfer out to Gainesville, Florida. He's going to be a Gator this year. They do bring back P.J. Mustafer and Fred Hansard at the middle and def at defensive tackle. Now, we talk about Penn State losing some players up front. They also get a, a couple respectable portal additions in defensive tackle Derek Tangelo from Duke and defensive end Arnold Ebiketti, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, a redshirt junior transfer from Temple. And we know that Temple has a history of churning out some pretty quality defensive players in their front seven. So he's slated to start at one of those defensive end positions. Tangelo will also mix in in the middle at defensive tackle. I think that they already have a couple good players who we just mentioned up front. So they lose quality players on the outside, but they it's not a completely bare cupboard as they get some help from the portal. They also bring back Ellis Brooks, who was a very effective linebacker in the middle. He was their leading tackler. He also had five and a half tackles for loss in a shortened season in 2020. Three quarterback curries and forced two fumbles. I also like Jesse Laquetta and Brandon Smith on the outside. So at linebacker, they look to be pretty good. In the secondary, this is where I think that they could really rise and be one of the better units in the Big Ten. Joey Porter and Tariq Castro-Fields manning the corners. Castro-Fields deciding to come back, Mr. TCF. And then at safety, Jaquan Brisker, I think, is one of the more underrated defensive players in the Big Ten. Team him with Jonathan Sutherland at the other safety. So they lose Lamont Wade, but Brisker and Sutherland in the middle there, manning that defense. I think those are two good leaders in that secondary. And Brent Pry is another one of those highly underrated coordinators, somebody who is a, a really good defensive mind, no-nonsense type of guy. He, he's going to out-scheme you more often than not. So when you team that along with you know, the, the weapons that they have on offense, and I and I purposely waited to talk guys. Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington, two very good receivers. I don't think Washington was given much of the respect that he deserved. I was listening to a couple other podcasts, and, and people kept saying that, well, Penn State brings back Jahan Dotson, but that's about it. Again, I think this is going to be a pretty healthy 
running back committee next year, provided that they're not snake bit again. Plus, I don't think a lot of people realize this. James Franklin was highly affected from a family standpoint by COVID last year. His mind was clearly in other places other than with his football team. And that's not a slight, that's not giving an excuse. And James Franklin will probably be one of the first to admit that things have to get better. But he he was somebody who, his mind was on his, his family and, and rightfully so. And I think now that things seem to be getting better, I think this this full off season with spending some time with his girls and with his, with his wonderful wife, I think we're gonna see a rejuvenated back at the top of his game, James Franklin. And so Penn State is a team, if I'm a Big Ten opponent, I'm really looking out for the Nittany Lions and I, I'm really weary of how they're gonna rebound. And like we said, tradition and history kind of shows that teams that suffer the close losses and the bad breaks that the Nittany Lions had last year, they roar back in full tone. Full pun intended there, by the way. They started off losing their first five games, but then they came back and won the next four. And so they ended the year with a lot of momentum. I think they're gonna start the year with a lot of momentum and they're gonna get tested right away. They go to Camp Randall and play the Wisconsin Badgers, but I think the winner of that game is gonna have a leg up to be really the best contender to try and knock off the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Big Ten. So our number 23 team, the Penn State Nittany Lions, heading into spring 2021. Coming in at number 22, Going down to the Bayou of Louisiana, down in Lafayette, where them raging Cajuns, they sure don't know how to play ball. Okay, that was my attempt at a Cajun accent, a little Coach O, but you get the drift. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns last year, they lost one game. They won 10 of them, including a bowl game against UTSA, which was a pretty hot Conference USA squad last year. You know who that one loss was? It was to Coastal Carolina, at Cajun Field in Lafayette on a last-second field goal by Massimo Biscardi, who we already talked about. So you can imagine that the Ragin' Cajuns are willing and ready for this rematch in this 2021 season. And they made probably the best retention, it got the best news of any team in the offseason, and that was when Billy Napier basically took his hat out of the ring for some pretty prominent Power 5 jobs and said, my home right now is in Lafayette, Louisiana, and for good reason. They're bringing back 96% of the returning production from last season. That's number one in the country. So we look at them offensively. They bring back a lot. Levi Lewis comes back for a super senior season at quarterback. He completed 59% of his throws last year. He wasn't spectacular, but he was pretty efficient. 19 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio. Averaged six yards running the ball, five rushing touchdowns. Again, they go along with his 19 touchdown passes through the air. They bring back literally every receiver who touched the ball last year, headlined by Kyron Lacey, who was a super freshman a season ago, their top pass catcher with 28 grabs for 13 yards, a catch, four touchdowns. Got good size, 6'3", 212. He's going to be a name that you're going to hear a lot of this season. Could be a guy that will enter the draft early in a couple of years and be one of the higher picks. They also bring back the speedy and versatile Peter LeBlanc. Jalen Williams comes back, the, the guy that they call old man, because he played a little bit of minor league baseball and is a little bit older compared to some of his teammates. And then there's also freshman Earl Rogers and Dante Fleming. They bring back all five of their starting offensive linemen. Two of them were all Sunbelt last year, Max Mitchell and Osiris Torrance. And I have here in my notes that they are a good physical offensive line. They like to run the heavy zone, the power trap, but with everything that they bring back, the two biggest losses on the entire team, 
are in the backfield. Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis, both were seniors a year ago, both decided to not extend their career and give it a go in the professional level. They do bring back Chris Smith, who is a, a speedster, averaged 5.6 yards per carry. And on top of that, he was a dynamite kickoff return guy. He returned two kickoffs for touchdowns a year ago, averaging 27 yards per return. So he'll be one of the nation's top return men. We'll get back to special teams in a minute. Going to the defensive side, they were a very opportunistic and very aggressive defense. They caused the third most interceptions in the country last year. They were sixth in takeaways. So this was a group that came after you, they hit you in the mouth, and they did everything they could, and they were pretty successful at taking the ball away. And it starts up front with Chauncey Manick and Zion Hill at defensive end. I also like Mason Narcisse, a freshman defensive tackle, along with Taylor Humphrey, who's coming back for his super senior season. Linebackers, Lorenzo McCaskill was the bell cow there. 83 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and three quarterback hurries. They also got good play from Farad Gardner in the middle, Chris Moncrief, Jordan Kibido. So four good linebackers in that multiple scheme up front. But in the secondary, like we said, the third most interceptions among any team in all of college football last year. So they were better than 124 other teams who actually played a season ago. Makai Garner, Eric Garrar at the corners. A.J. Washington was another good player. He had five pass breakups, which was second on the team. Their top pass breakup guy, their best cover guy was Braylon Trahan. Their free safety, also Percy Butler, Cam Podesclo. They literally bring back everybody who logged snaps in the secondary a season ago. So I'm looking at the roster here. They legitimately go about 12 deep in that secondary. They also go about seven or eight deep at linebacker. Just a lot of returning production. A wealth of riches for second-year defensive coordinator Patrick Tony to go with. And with such a good first season at the D.C. spot, he's a name who could move his way up to a Power 5 job pretty soon, especially if they continue their success that they had this year. Special teams, this is one of the top special teams units that you'll see in the entire nation next year. With the exception of place kicker, Nate Snyder struggled, and so they ended up with Kenneth Almendaris, who finished the year 5 of 5 on field goals. Although he only kicked one beyond 40 yards, it was a long of 43. But Aussie punter Reese Burns, a junior last year, kicked the ball 36 times. He wasn't needed all that often, but he made the most of it, averaging 43 and a half yards per kick, putting 14 inside the 20 and had four of them go for over 50 yards. We already talked about Chris Smith returning kicks. And then how about Eric Garrar, who returned that 83-yard strike against Iowa State in their opener, which really opened the eyes of the nation. He finished the year with 7.8 yards per punt return, and that was after teams started to kick away from him. So among their kick and punt returners, they had a total of three return touchdowns, a very solid unit. I look for them to do much of the same this year. Now, we, we talked about their opportunism. They were 6-1 and one in close games last year, so that means that a lot of good fortune was on their side, and because a lot of teams are going to be gunning for them, it's going to be interesting to see if they can stretch that good fortune and, and can make a habit out of that opportunism, or if it's going to come back and, and their luck will run short at times. They were 5-1 and one as a ranked team. They played a lot of close games, like we said, but they came out on top, and I think we're seeing a winning tradition being built by Billy Napier. That's why I really was convinced he was going to be the guy, the best man, to take the South Carolina job, but clearly he thought that that wasn't the right spot for him. This is the right place. And communicating with some Cajun fans on Twitter, 
they really get the feeling that this is going to be his home. And, you know, we talked about Coastal Carolina and App State being teams from the group of five who are looking to kind of emerge and maybe start knocking on the door of some Power Five conference openings in five to ten years. Louisiana is certainly a program that if they continue these winning ways and they start putting more money into their facilities, I think that this could be tapping into that talent-rich state of Louisiana. So again, our number 22 team in the Great 28, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Checking in at number 21, the Blackjack spot. It's the Lane Train. Woo-woo! Out in Oxford, Mississippi, the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, Ole Miss, we know one thing about them for sure. They can run the offense. They can score points. They're exciting. They've got a legit Heisman candidate at quarterback, Matty Corral. Not only that, but they have a pretty darn good athlete at backup quarterback, John Reese Plumley, somebody who we saw get involved, not just at quarterback, but running the ball out wide at wide receiver, just a, a an incredibly athletic talent at quarterback. Oh, by the way, he also completed 71% of his throws, just like the starter, Matty Corral, did. Now, Corral averaged 333 yards passing per game through 29 touchdowns. However, 14 interceptions to go along with that. You'd like to see that number cut down if you're Coach Kiffin. Corral also averaged 4.5 yards running the ball, 50 yards per game, four touchdowns on the ground. So it counted for 33 total touchdowns. He's a talent. He can throw well on the run. He reminds me... In similar ways, but in a better fashion of Johnny Manziel. I think that he's a more polished passer than Manziel. I think that he sees the field a little bit better. And what makes him dangerous is he's got a lot of good options and weapons around him. Jerion Ely is a very capable running back, number nine. He's going to be a junior this year. They also go with Snoop Connor, his classmate, and Henry Parrish. And don't forget about Tylen Knight, who... Played primarily on the defensive side of the ball, but he's kind of a wild card, uh, a, a jack-of-all-trades athletic football player. Big loss is going to be Elijah Moore at wide receiver. If he came back for his senior season, this would seriously be a team that could flirt with a top-10 ranking. But they do bring back Dontario Drummond. I think that his return for a super senior season is a big one. I think he's one of the more underrated wide receivers, not just in the SEC, but in the entire country. He had 25 catches last year, 16 yards per reception, which was tops on the team. Seven touchdown grabs, which is only one behind more. They also have Jonathan Mingo, who did have some problems with some drops last year, but he caught 27 passes, which was good for second on the team as far as wide receivers go. Braylon Sanders is another person coming back. And at tight end, Casey Kelly, a redshirt freshman last year, kind of emerged, came on late at the end of the season, averaged 14 yards a snag. They also have Chase Rogers, who started to emerge as a, as a good pass-catching threat, also a pretty good blocker. Up front, they bring back four of their five offensive linemen. They do lose Royce Newman, but Reese McIntyre, Ben Brown, Nick Broker, all coming back to man the left side of that offensive line. They do get Jacor Pearson, a grad transfer from Western Kentucky, who caught a lot of passes last year. I think that he's going to fit in really well in this Lane Kiffin offense, manned by Jeff Levy, who did a fantastic job in his first year at Ole Miss. Where they have to get better on the offensive side, though, is in the red zone. They were in the hundreds. They also were a very quick-paced offense, and I think that that's what caused problems on the other side of the ball. So let's get to the defense. They need a lot of work done here. And they do lose one of their better defensive players. Ryder Anderson decided to transfer. He's going to Indiana. But they bring back Sam Williams, a senior defensive end, coming back for a super senior season. He had eight tackles for loss and four sacks last year to go along with three quarterback hurries. 
At linebacker, this is where I think they're an underrated group. Lakia Henry, Momo Sonogo at inside backer, and they really play that 4-2 scheme. So they've got a few guys that they can rotate in and out of there. They also bring in from the transfer portal from Maryland, Chance Campbell, the junior, who was one of the top tacklers on that Maryland Terrapin defense last year. He'll be joining Henry and Sonogo in the middle there at that linebacker spot. In the secondary, while they were not very good against the pass last year, I think it was mainly because they were on the field too dang much. They have a pretty good pair of corners. Kedron Smith is a, is a good one, number 20 on the outside there. Dean Leonard had a, a pretty good senior season toward the end of last year, had a, a great scoop and score in the Egg Bowl, I think, against Mississippi State. He's coming back, four pass breakups and 14 tackles. A.J. Finley is a star at free safety. Otis Reese is a transfer from Georgia who really was not eligible until the tail end of last season. I think that he's going to be somebody that's going to emerge and, and be an all-SEC caliber player. D.J. Durkin in his second year as a defensive coordinator. I think that they're going to get better. I think they're going to take a step forward on the defensive side of the ball. But again, they're going to have to because if you look at their defensive stats, a lot of triple digits on the defensive side of the ball. Third down conversion rate, 106th. 122nd in first downs given up, 100th in red zone defense, 101st against the run, 117th scoring defense. So you get the idea, 126 total defense. That was second worst only to it. It's got to be Bowling Green. I, I don't even need to look, but knowing that Brian Van Gorder coached that Bowling Green defense last year, sorry, BVG, the numbers weren't good. So without Bowling Green being in the mix, Ole Miss was the worst defense in the entire country last year. But I think they're going to take that step up. Special teams, they bring back a pretty darn good kick returner in Jerry on Ely. He had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown against LSU in that sloppy rain-filled game. Averaged 28.9 yards per kickoff return. Uh, Dennis Jackson is another good one. Averaged 24 yards per run back. Mac Brown, not the coach, but the punter. Redshirt senior is coming back for another super senior season. He averaged 46.6 yards per punt. Very underrated punter. He had 11 of over 50 yards. That's got to be near tops in the country. Dontario Drummond, who we talked about at receiver, also brought back punts for an average of nine yards per return. So they do lose Luke Logan, their place kicker, but all the other major pieces in the special teams game are pretty good. I think that this is a team that, you know, some are, are saying that Ole Miss could be that surprise team, that team that could upset another SEC power in the West. I Looking at their schedule, they have to go to Alabama. If they had them in Oxford, maybe they could pull out that upset. I think that the lane train is one year away, but I, I do like the direction this team is going. It was very interesting watching the documentary called The Season on ESPN, which followed Ole Miss football last year. You really got to see the personality of this team, and they. This group seems really tight with Coach Kiffin. I think that you know he he missed the boat at Tennessee and at USC. He realizes that. I think he kind of had a, a renaissance in coaching at FAU, found himself again, and I think that he's on the right track. I do respect Coach Kiffin. I, I didn't have a lot of faith in him in his first two stops, but seeing the good things that he did and and seeing how he kind of humbled himself and realized what he needed to do to grow and to get better and realizing that he is not at the top of the college football landscape. I think that now his learning experience at FAU and a pretty good season he had in year one at Ole Miss, I like where they're going. So they're our number 21 team in the great 28. Okay, 24 through 21. What do you think? I want to hear from you. So if you don't already, please give me a follow on Twitter at champion underscore lit. That's 
at champion underscore L-I-T. And please go check out our website. It's cfpcollegefootball.com. Here you can take an even closer look at the teams we were just talking about, as well as stats, starters, and significant stat charters for all 65 Power 5 teams, plus some of the higher-end Group of 5 squads, and more to come as we continue to roll through this offseason. If you want college football content to help you with your fall habits, to satisfy your football fix, and to just get your Jones jumping with joy, check out our site. Again, that's cfpcollegefootball.com. And stay tuned this week for more audio previews on the CFP podcast, soon to be a fixture for your college football mixture. Please subscribe and rate and reach out to me, again, at champion underscore lit, or email me at cfpcollegefootball at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chappie for the CFP Podcast, and this is what I know.